This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the October 27th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm agronomist Brian Schrader representing the eastern part of Indiana and as always joined by my co-host Ben Jacob from southern Indiana and Carl Joran from western Indiana. Good morning guys, how are you? Morning Brian. Morning Brian, doing well, thank you. Great. Hey, we have uh, spent a lot of time with uh, local sales reps over the last several weeks uh, have really enjoyed those conversations and getting a chance to uh, visit with those folks and understand how they work with their local customer base. This morning, we thought we'd return back to the basics of the podcast and three agronomists talking this morning. And so we've got a bunch of different topics we're going to talk about, hopefully uh, that you guys as listeners will enjoy. And so maybe the first and best place to start guys is around the horn, uh, around the state of Indiana, maybe a harvest update. Um, maybe some discussion about potential rainfall totals that we've got when you think maybe you'll get back in the field, all those kind of things. So Ben, let's start down South. Where are you guys at on harvest progress? How much rain did you get? And when do you think you can get back in the field? Yeah. So there's a, there's a pretty, pretty good stratification of harvest progress as you know, we've had Dan Emmert on in the past. If you go down um, Knox County and South here on the West side of the state, there are several folks who have wrapped up completely. Um, now, all of them fairly recently, I believe. Um, as you come out a little further north into my area, I would say, you know, I would say overall we're we're looking at um, seventy-five to eighty percent complete overall. Um, now, there again, there's a wide there's a widespread in there. I think we, as we look back to the beginning of harvest, we we. Um, we probably should have been in beans a little earlier than what we were. A lot of the beans held onto their leaves longer than, than what would be expected. And then, then by the time we got machines in them, we're, we're starting harvest at 9% beans, you know? So um, we kind of probably, probably set ourselves back a little bit during that. As far as rain goes this weekend, this past weekend, we had um, most places had at least an inch and a half, uh, some, some north of two, there are some folks that are getting back into the field already, depending on the lay of the land. Um, a lot, a lot of that, say 25% that's left though, is in wet spots anyway. So it's going to take a while to get back, to get back into the majority of it. Um, you know, with the forecasts sitting here on Wednesday, the forecast I look at this morning shows rain for Thursday and Friday, both for sure. Um, potentially another two inches. So we're, we're just getting into that, that time of year. And this is, you know, this is what we expect falls to be like, or I expect falls to be like after we had really, really a phenomenal window early um, with very few days out for rain. And, um, you know, this is, this is turning into a more typical fall now. So how about, sure. how about you, Carl? What's it like in Northwestern Indiana? Well, driving your way north from men's geography, uh, we picked up anywhere from an inch and three quarters to upwards of five inches is what I had heard. Um, so we are wet. There's still standing water. Uh, as I was traversing the state on Monday, I, I was just dumbfounded by how much water was standing uh, in fields, moving off fields into road ditches that were just completely full. So, I mean, we had we had some pretty exceptional rainfall that came through. 
Um, harvest progress, I'd say we're, we're somewhere around the two thirds complete mark, probably, um, as you get further North, more guys stayed in corn, started in corn just due to stock integrity concerns based on tar spot. So a lot of the corn has come out in my area, but for those folks that, uh, you know, kind of followed the, the habits of old getting into beans early, uh, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, some, some. I guess, nervousness as we continue to have big winds come through with some of these storm fronts. So uh, we got some fresh corn that's down uh, across the countryside, especially in, um, you know, brands and products that didn't really hold up to tar spot very well or where we shot a fungicide earlier, didn't shoot one at all. So it's, if it wasn't down, it, it's more or less down in those scenarios at this point. So uh, going to be slow going on corn. Um, in terms of when we're going to get back in the field i don't know it could be i mean it might not be till next year it feels like at this rate uh but i hope next week uh hopefully we miss some of these rains that are supposed to come in tomorrow but another half inch on top of some of the uh saturated conditions we have it it who knows so fingers crossed um that you, you got your corn taken out uh, timely, you know, started early. I know there are a lot of, a lot of individuals that said, man, I got great drying conditions. Now mother nature's taking a lot of the moisture out of this corn. I'm going to let her keep at it. But for those that went out and got the crop, you know, in the low 20% moistures, I think they're feeling pretty good about the progress they've made at this point. So um, that's a, that's a brief look at, at uh, how things have been in Northwest Indiana. Brian, how about as you drive East? Uh, I would say my experience and what we're seeing on the eastern side of the state probably aligns a little bit more with what you've described than what Ben described, Carl. Uh, rain totals are very similar. Maybe the low end was just a little bit above two in most places um, is what I'm hearing. I did hear some pockets where we had some isolated spots that probably were closing in on five. Uh, at my particular location where I live, I had almost three uh, in this rainstorm, we are experiencing the exact same thing. We've got a lot of standing water in between the rows yet that need to be harvested. And uh, we've got to get the creeks down, the rivers down before we can get the rest of that water away over here. From a harvest progress standpoint, I'm going to say we're probably about three quarters of the way done on soybeans. That might be just slightly high. Corn's probably closer to 60% yet. A lot of the guys in this part of the world, it, we cut our beans first and then we'll go shell our corn unless beans just are so wet that you, you can't get after them. And so that's delayed it a little bit. We're not, we've got some stock integrity issues just because of the environment. And we've certainly covered that. Uh, tar spot has come, did come in late. It's caught some guys' attention. Uh, seeing a little bit of yield reduction here and there, and that's going to affect some of those guys from a stock integrity standpoint. But um, so far, I think we're okay. If it were not to rain this weekend, I think we could get back in the field maybe late Sunday, early Monday in some of the better drain soils. If it rains tomorrow and Friday, like the forecast, we'll be out another I'd say four or five days, depending on the amount of rain. So you're talking about maybe the tail end of next week, if we get very much rain at all. So, uh, Ben, one thing I wanted to touch on, you were talking about the soybeans and moisture. I'm curious, one of the questions that I'm getting from several customers has to do with how dry I can expect my soybeans to get at this point. If I've still got soybeans yet to cut, I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts on that are. 
you know, if I've still got soybeans in the field, how dry can I expect them to get? You know, they got down to nine. I, I know I talked to a customer yesterday who said to finish up, he cut 15% beans. Can I expect my beans to get back to 10 or 11? Is 13 the best I'm going to see? What's your guys' opinion on that? I know that's a big question for a lot of my growers. Yeah, so is it possible to get back down around 10 um, and, and maybe do we even want that? I mean, I, ideally, ideally, as far as for header loss, you know, we'd, we'd get down to 14, 13, um, and we're going we're gonna to have a much better harvest efficiency. Now, I know, I know everybody loves this answer from an agronomist, but can we get back down there? Well, it, it depends, right? <laughs> um, with, with the pattern we have right now, I'm going to say that there's, that there's no chance where we're getting a rain event every couple of days. Um, we actually had a fairly heavy frost at my house last mm -hmm. night, um, even this far south. So not only are we getting a rain event every couple of days, um, you know, the dew, the dew is sticking around on the grass until, until it, you know, 10 30, 11 o'clock. Um, if you've been out in beans over, over the same time period, I mean, down here anyway, one, one o'clock in the afternoon, maybe is, is about as early as you can, is they're really going to cut well. Um, so you're looking at by the time, you know, sunsets at seven, you start getting a little damp again before that, you know, really you're only looking at four or five cutting hours during the day before you get, before there's re-wetting, we're just not going to make much progress on drying. Now, that being said, that we could have, we could have a few days in a row where we don't have that heavy of a do. Um, and we could have some clear days and we could have good wind. So could we get beans, you know, those 15% beans down to 13? Absolutely. It could happen. Um, is it likely? No not at this point and if if you're waiting on that you're, you're going to experience you're going to experience more loss in the field um than if you just go get them whenever the ground's fit to get across i got a question for you guys so you know ben had mentioned that that loss that you experience is being stand in the field for longer and longer does it seem as if this year there's been more volunteer soybeans out in fields than there has in recent memory i mean it's really caught Absolutely. my attention it, it looks like a cover crop over here. It's unbelievable, Carl. I've chalked it up to a couple things and something that you actually had mentioned uh, in our warm up to the podcast this morning, those uh, green beans that we cut, Ben, you mentioned it as well. Uh, and what was going on there, we've chucked those out the back and they've happened to germinate because we've had really great germination weather. If you think about it, high temperatures, plenty of moisture, humidity has been good. Uh, had plenty of soil moisture when these beans were cut. I've chalked it up to those two factors, the environmental factor and the fact that we were cutting beans and shoveling out. But I also think there are some situations, and it's I hate to say this, but when you see big, wide streaks behind the combine every pass, there's there's some settings. There's some things that could be cleaned up, tighten that machine up a little bit to keep from chucking really good uh, high quality soybeans out the back end. So I agree with you. It looks a lot worse this year than it has looked to me in a very long time. That's what I've chalked it up to. Maybe I'm incorrect in those assumptions, but that's where I've kind of laid it at. No, I think, I think that you're, I think that you're hitting the nail on the head and, and you know, again, I mentioned it, that beans, at least early on, were 
a lot drier than I think many folks were expecting. Okay, so we're, we're going to have more harvest loss. Um, now, whether that's whether that's at the head or in the machine, you know, you can you can look at the pattern in the field and, and determine that, like Brian said, to great deal. But but yeah, I mean, when you've got when you got eighty degree days, several of them. I mean, a lot of these a lot of these beans down here that have greened up, and I mean, they're they're thicker than my yard. Um, and, and there's cornfields that look like that too. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of that stuff was cut or shelled, you know, the second week in September. Well, there's been a lot of quote unquote growing season a growing degree days however you want to phrase it that yeah that's i mean that's essentially a cover crop at at this point you know it's going to have to be managed in some but it but it could work into your weed control strategy i guess but yeah it's certainly it's certainly worse than um worse than i've seen in a long time but you know there's a lot of factors that go into that oh and don't forget to Ben harvest loss that's that's a sneaky deal like you said there can be the header loss there can be coming out the back end of the machine but it doesn't take a lot to add up to a lot of bushels two kernels of corn per square foot roughly is a bushel four soybeans per square foot and this is the easy math for a guy like me who's an agronomy nerd and not a mathematician but there's 43,560 square feet in an acre two kernels, 45, that's 90,000. When we do our little arithmetic on uh, our grain yield, what do we divide by? We divide by 90,000 roughly, unless we know the test weight. And what we're assuming is that there are 90,000 kernels in a bushel of corn. And so that's that the way that math works out. So it doesn't take very much corn coming out of that machine or losing it at the header to add up the big bushels in these fields. And that's the thing that I just really hate to see when I drive by here is if it's something that we could have done to adjust the machine to save those kernels, that that's the thing. It's just a gut punch for me when I see it. Yeah. And the other thing is these, you know, as we talked about bean moistures too, is they're changing so much through the day. Um, I mean, it's going to take, you're going to have to adjust machine settings throughout the day to minimize loss. If, if you're really, if you're really going to focus on that. So, yeah. And Carl on the uh, you know, I've got beans standing out in the field far later in the season on more acres than I, than I have in, in a number of years, just because we were out getting corn. Um, and so I'm seeing a lot of dirty soybean fields, you know, where the top of the canopy is darn near black, you know, just really, really, a you know, kind of a, uh, an unusual site for a lot of growers in my area. And so is there, you know, getting these beans taken out and you're kind of looking back in the grain tank, you got some, you know, not ideal looking round, beautiful soybeans that you're used to seeing. So for Ben and, you know, down South and Brian, you may come across this a little bit more than me too, but I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of pod and stem blight this year. And I'm seeing a lot of that Phomopsis seed decay, um now with me being a little further north and not as humid we usually don't have the conditions where where you kind of see those things come together uh how often you guys come across that and are there is there anything a guy can really do to mitigate that or at least in my experience it seems the longer the beans are out in the field the worse those conditions seem to get and the worse that you know the worse the field uh the beans start to turn yeah i would say um I would say that, that you nailed it, Carl, that the, the longer they're out in the field um, this year, I think we had we had a couple of things working against us 
um, I guess to your original question, I see some every year on on occasion we'll have years where it's widespread and it's usually coupled with with something else we don't we don't typically just have a bad from office year um usually there's something else in there um this year i think so when we're seeing that too um a lot of a lot of what i'm seeing for discoloration right right in my backyard is circospora it's purple seed stain but as you look out across fields you do see the top five six nodes um, have, have turned black so there, there's more to it than that um stink but late stink bug feeding was absolutely terrible this year um and if you go out and look at those fields that that do have that issue on the top on the top nodes they they went through late stress outside of just the stink bugs and the disease i mean you can look at the the bean size within the pod and look at bean count and see that those top nodes um, didn't get a chance to fill out as big of a bean so we obviously had a stress situation in there um, with the feeding and with the disease already present. You know, we're, we're going to see that express a lot more when you compound all those things. So, Brian, what have you been seeing? Uh, very similar to what you've described. Uh, we always see a little bit, or if you hunt around, you can always find the Phomopsis. It's out there. A couple of years ago when we got late, wet in the fall, we saw a lot of it. I'm anticipating some of these last cut beans will experience the same thing, just like what you've described. Uh, the, the bud blight and the green beans for me, that's very rare. We are seeing it, but I have attributed a great deal of that also to the late stink bug, Ben. Uh, we, we saw quite a bit of that up here as well. So that's been my connection. It's not been horrible I, in my career. I've seen it worse a couple other times, but it's certainly noticeable. And in a couple situations, um, guys didn't realize what they had. And so they held off harvest and you guys know those green stems, they just, they never stop. I mean, they, they never die. And at some point you just have to pull the trigger and, um, cut those beans. And that, that maybe has caused a, a handful of guys, some problems. The other thing about these, your stress and those top nodes that I would add Ben is remember as late as we are in the conditions that we've had, we actually have started the decaying process in these standing crops. We've got these fungi that normally would break down residue. That residue is not laying on the ground. It's still standing, whether it's these corn stalks or whether it's these soybeans. And we're actually starting to break down the tissue that's left like we normally would as we start to break down in size residue. And so that's some of what we're seeing. The stress that you're talking about that affected these top three or four nodes, when you get to looking at some of that stuff, it it's odd some of the symptomology that you see. It's not traditional diseases like we would think about. And uh, they're coming apart at the seams in some spots. Circling back to a couple of comments you guys had made, I, I would agree that the areas that I'm seeing the you know, the symptomology of pod and stem blight, um, or the phomopsis, especially in the made beans, uh, it is worse where we had, uh, feeding damage. Now for me, I think I'm seeing more bean leaf beetle damage, uh, feeding on the pods than I, than I am stink bugs in a majority of the cases, but I'm sure stink bugs are contributing and in a lot of other fields. So, um, coupling that with your comment, Brian, on the, on the green beans and the, the, um, the bud blight, I've seen more of that this year than I ever have in my area. And so that's one of those that it's, it's, um, for folks that aren't, aren't hip to this concept of bud blight, um, maybe just a, a brief 
a brief synopsis of, of what kind of goes on with the plant. So as the plants going about making their beans, you know, we go through flowering and we go through the developing pod stages. And as that plant encounters stress, whether it's wet feet for sitting in saturated conditions, like a four inch rain in early July, uh, like we had in a lot of areas, the plant's going to go ahead and determine at that stage of its life, how many beans can I make? How many, you know, opportunities that next generation can I contribute? And if I'm under stress, I don't think I can commit to as many as I would if I were under, you know, ideal conditions. And so as we're aborting those pods, um, and then we have the return to ideal conditions later in the growing season as we're filling out those pods, well, all that plant sugar that we've been creating through, you know, photosynthesis, if we don't have the, you know, the hundred pod sink, and we only have a 15 pod sink, all of a sudden, we've got no place to put that plant sugar. And so it stays in the stem. And so when you see, you know, just these random patches of green stem beans, it can either be due to those environmental conditions like that, or it could be vectored um, through one of these feeding insects, like a stink bug or like a, um, a bean leaf beetle or like nematodes, where uh, they carry a, a virus called tobacco ring spot virus. And that actually aborts um, some of the pods. And it really, uh, really makes up for some uh, malformed buds and hence the name bud blight. And so if you take a quick Google on bud blight, you'll you know, you see it once, you'll you'll know it for the rest of your, your the rest of your life because it is such a unique looking um, you know pod formation. So I've seen a, an awful lot more of that this year, uh, an awful lot more green stem beans that aren't potted up, and and you know from a physiological standpoint, that's what's going on there. So just to to bring in the uninitiated on on that. Um, we've, we've spent a fair amount of time on soybean disease and the things we're seeing there. I know, Carl, you mentioned it as we went around the horn uh, with stock integrity and the impact that you're seeing from tar spot. I guess I'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on that and see what the update is from your part of the world in terms of uh, impact and yield. Is it meeting what you expected it to be in terms of those yield impacts? And then maybe give us an update on stock integrity and I'd be curious for you, Ben, on uh, any place you had the Southern, the, the same type of thing. Yeah, a, a year of learning, I think, on tar spot, even for those of us that uh, felt like we had a pretty good grip on the disease just from some previous years of experience with it coming in so early this year, had more time to do damage. Um, so when you think about managing for fungal pathogens, usually uh, we say if you're into milk stage, you know, if we're past brown silk, not going to advise for a fungicide application. Now with Southern rust, maybe we say early dose stage, if conditions are fit, you know, we, we may uh, have a 50, 50 chance of making that application. So kind of taking that similar logic this year, uh, as I was going into fields where we're just maybe able to schedule an airplane within, you know, a couple of weeks time. And that was putting us into early dense stage. Uh, for the most part, I, I was telling growers, Hey, dense stage corn, usually you're not going to get a return on your, your fungicide investment in the bushels department. And I've never seen that in tar spot, but I'll be darned this year, we did have some instances where we had some starch accumulation in the kernel and still saw 
uh, fungicide application pay for itself that late in the season. So I'll be very interested to see what Darcy Polanco's work shows out of the Penny Purdue farm, um, where they're doing a lot of tar spot research, which is right in the heart of my area. Um, but moving forward, that that potential two shot application of a fungicide uh, very well could be warranted if we get back into those environmental conditions for an early infection because it, it has wreaked havoc. Um, it's uh, unfortunate, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for me to hear of check strips showing a 40 bushel difference on spray versus not spray um, for tar spot this year. So um, big differences, like I noted in the around the horn when it comes to uh, different brands um you know the fixed ear dye and dry type hybrids are are not showing the same resiliency as the late stay green flexi hybrids uh there's been a big delineation you can tell just looking across the county road um you know who planted you know which brand and which one was still standing so uh to your point on stock integrity um that's where folks that did make that application um late in the season far later than we usually do for fungicide big difference in standability a lot of folks that didn't make that application they're thinking hey I'm, i might do it next year um just for for the standability perspective so harvest logistics always is going to play a role in some of that stuff but um but yeah even when you're not rewarded in the bushels department standability makes for a much more pleasant harvest and uh, that's that's kind of the the quick and dirty on the tar spot update for the season, Brian. Okay, Ben, how about you on stock integrity and contributing factors? I know tar spot you could find it. Don't know how you would can you know rate it? I guess in terms of severity based on your experience. Yeah, well, well, interestingly, I mean, a few minutes ago you'd mentioned Southern Rust. Interestingly, tar spot is you know and uh, about every conversation that I have going through this fall. Um, part of that, part of that's the novelty for sure. But there, there were areas even this far South and further South where, um, I'm not going to say, and, and, and let me preface this, this is anecdotal, but there were areas, particularly in some of the bottom ground that we have, um, that 20 to 25 bushel, I think is not, not out of the, out of the question for the impact of it. Um, you know, Carl, Carl mentioned this, and, and I don't know if it's clear we're here where we're seeing more moderate pressure than up in the severe areas, but um, we, have, we have a clear, clear advantage across most of our corn lineup right now as far as, as, far as tar spot um, resistance and when you're looking at visual symptomology. So um, Southern Rust had less of an impact this year than what than what I would have thought early on. Um, we never really had, we never really had just the perfect conditions for it to take off. Now we, we did see tar spot spread more aggressively than I ever would have imagined that it was going to as well. Um, you know, in, in early September, we were hot, uh, but we cooled off quite a bit at night and had, had heavy dews and everything. So it, it, it's understandable that when we had leaf moisture, the temperatures were cooler. Yeah, it's gonna spread. Um, but I really think that the big impact everywhere is it, it contributing to, to this loss in stock integrity that we've been seeing over the, the past three weeks. And, you know, if you go back and listen to, listen to some of the episodes that we did in late August and early September, I mean, I think all three of us probably had this concern that it was coming. 
um, but it, it as we've gotten into this more typical fall weather with the rains that are coming every few days and you know some of that sometimes that brings wind with it sometimes it's a nice fall rain but sometimes it brings wind or perhaps even worse you get an inch and a half today uh, with a cold front moving through and then guess what tomorrow that's 65 mile an hour wind and and that's bad news so um, I think that the big story out of tar spot for us is its impact on on stock integrity now it's not fair just to blame um, tar spot for all of that uh, we had you know again you can go back and some August August we ran way short on sunlight a lot of my area was was very very wet throughout May and June and and so we had high and it was warm too so we had high potential for nitrogen loss um, so yeah you, you combine all that nutrient loss um, a lack of sunlight and then some areas believe it or not did see some drought stress late so you combine all that stress um, leading into post post flower and you get a little bit of stress post flower and you're going to see a higher incidence of stock diseases um, you have have less nutrient uptake than what you probably needed uh, you know when we first started talking about early yields i said there's some surprisingly good yields in these areas that got battered um, so better yields than what we expected nutrient loss and then uh lack of sunlight we don't have you know we're not producing as many photos photosynthates as we should stack all that up you're ripe for adding stock diseases into an already compromised stock um yeah but stock integrity is is going to go south and it, and it has it has in a big way um so what i would say to that is we can't fix that now right but it's not every single acre of every field so as we have this wet weather, this delay, I mean, I would highly encourage everybody to go out and look at the fields that, that they've yet to harvest. Um, go out there and pinch the base of the stock. Go out there and push, push them a little bit. See if, see if you have fields that are snapping or their stocks are hollow that you really need to prioritize. And it, and it may be a situation where, where with this wet weather, yeah, you have to get back on that ground when it's a little bit, a little bit marginal, um, but but the loss potential is huge there if we don't do it. So um, just take the harvest delay to, to kind of prioritize what you want to get after whenever we can get back into the fields. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too. If you think about Carl's geography, my geography, your geography, we really cut the state in thirds for the most part. So my counterpart that we've had on the podcast, Lance Shepard, Lance's experience is very, very similar to what Carl has been. And I think there are a handful of things that we've, we've got to do. And uh, I think one thing is we have to clearly understand that tar spot is here to stay. It is going to be a piece of our management as we move forward, regardless of where you're at across the state. I agree with you, Carl. I'm really interested to see what uh, Darcy Tolinko's recommendations to us across the state are from north to south as we move forward, trying to figure out and manage this. The last thing I'll end with, and we've kind of joked about it a number of times on the podcast, but I would argue that stock integrity is probably the best place to see these compounding stresses that we talk about. It is very rarely a single thing that contributes to stock integrity. It is a myriad of things across the entire season that will contribute to poor stock integrity. Ben just touched on a handful of them, but probably the big nuggets in that conversation. But don't ever think when you walk out in the field and you're looking at 
down stocks that it's just one thing that contributed to that that at least in my experience as an agronomist over the last almost 20 years i've never seen it be just one thing that impacts stock integrity so guys i guess from a time standpoint uh anything else that we haven't covered today that we should definitely touch on before we let folks go no, I, I appreciate just having the opportunity to share what uh, what we've been experiencing in Northwest Indiana over the last few weeks and uh, hope it was a value to folks from elsewhere across the state and country and hope you all are staying safe, uh, drying out most importantly at this stage of the game so we can get back out there here soon. Yeah, Ben, as always, if somebody heard something that they really want to get a hold of you and talk about, how can they best get a hold of you? If you can find me on various social media platforms on Twitter at the Ben Jacob and on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. Awesome. And Carl, how about for you? Yep. If you want to follow along with what's going on in Northwest Indiana on Twitter, you can see that uh, at Cjorn. How about you, Mr. Schrader? You can get a hold of me at uh, BK Schrader on the Twitter machine, or you can get a hold of me on the gram at B underscore K underscore Schrader. And so with that, guys, we'll call this an episode. We thank those of you listening for spending the last half an hour with us. We appreciate your time. We hope you stay safe as you get out there and get to harvesting again. And this is uh, Brian, Carl, and Ben for the October 27th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.